welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 305 for April 18th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about mallets and chisel handles, protecting our electronic gear in the shop, shop security, keeping walnut from fading, and our featured topic, how much rehab can you do on a tool before it loses its soul? Uh, sounds like something we'd be talking about the three of us. You know, rehab how much these rehab three... could a woodworker do if a woodworker could do rehab? If a woodworker had a soul. Frankly, I think we're all soulless. Uh, Before we get to that good stuff, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Brusso Hardware. Brusso Hardware provides high-quality, American-made woodworking hardware for furniture, cabinets, boxes, and more. WoodTalk listeners can use coupon code WOODTALK, all one word, for 10% off your first order at Brusso.com. And I'll tell you, not too long ago, I used Brusso Hardware to put together the uh, Humidor project and talked to my dad recently. It's holding up really well, but I'll tell you, it was an absolute pleasure to work with their stuff. Their standards are so high, and every aspect of their hardware just screams quality and when you're installing this stuff and trying to cut accurate mortises for these things it's a nice thing to know that that is like every part is a consistent thickness every leaf is exactly the same to the hinge next to it just makes everything that much better so go check them out at brusso.com you will not regret it it's definitely a wise investment for your projects now we also want to thank uh folks who helped us out with donations clayton taylor specifically thank you clayton if you want to help out too you can go to woodtalkshow.com look over in the side column for the donation link and uh, we'll mention you at the beginning of the show, just like we did for Clayton right there. Okay, let's get into what's on the bench. For me, the Barrister's bookcase is moving right along. We got to the points where the cases are glued up. Uh, No back panels just yet. So the top, bottom sides all together. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I posted a picture, I don't know, maybe a week ago when I picked up some new walnut stock and uh, just kind of changing the gears. So I don't know, I kind of moved too fast from the Barrister's bookcase. Anyway, let's just put it this way. The Barrister's is well on its way. (laughs) Next topic, I just realized there was like no, no graceful segue there. Uh, so I, Take a po- breath. I know really, I posted a picture of this beautiful walnut that I got from our, our local dealer, Spellman hardwoods. And the stuff is at like an inch and an eighth rough. And I mean, this is true rough four quarter. And when I posted the picture, it's, it's interesting because half of the people are like, Oh, that's fantastic. I never see anything that's that thick. You know, everything I have is just barely what? over three quarters and I don't have any what? room. Yeah, that's the way it is. And, uh, but then there's another segment of people like, uh, Cremona over here. <laughs> They're like, everything I get is like that, you know, so, so apparently lots, it it definitely varies by region. And I guess how much of the stuff you have growing locally, maybe that affects the supply. But I think a lot of people just don't have access to that really, really thick stock. And it just gives you so much more flexibility. And we've talked about this in the past. Um, uh, Shannon, I know we've had discussions with Matt Vanderlist about how great it is to get material that's thicker than three quarters and you're already nice and milled four square and it's ready to go. It's like, who says three quarters is this magic number? Like the magic number should be as thick as the board can be while being flat and square. (laughs) To the point where three quarters looks really skinny to me now. Yeah, it does. Like I never go that thin just because it's too much work. Yeah, it almost feels like (laughs) half inch once you get enough uh, uh, thicker stuff uh, under your belt. So uh, if you can get it, it's great. That's a real red flag though, people. If If you're buying four quarter lumber and it's like at an inch thick, yeah. I would complain. I would complain to your dealer and tell them, and it's probably not the dealer because they're buying it from somewhere else, unless they're an actual sawmill. Tell them, look, this is not right. Like you need to submit a claim to your supplier because (laughs) four quarter material is on average one and a 16th, one and an eighth thick. It's just the way it is. Um, 
and, and I'm talking about we move probably 80,000 board feet of walnut through our facility weekly. So I knows what I'm talking about. I've seen a lot of walnut. In fact, today we had a uh, 25,000 board feet of walnut that all had honeycombed case hardening Ugh. that we had to like send back to the sawmill. Oh yeah, Jeez. people were ticked. But it's that's the way it is. Four quarter lumber is not you know seven eighths or fifteen sixteenths. If it is, it's scant, and somebody's trying to either take you for a ridge or you know that's fine if that's what you want to buy but you should pay less than four quarter prices well it's pretty it's widespread though and i think the problem is it might be just one of those creeping acceptance things like you know plywood oh. getting thinner and thinner uh it's just fight back people fight we should, back we should uh <laughs> contact your local congressman and see if you can get something done about it <laughs> uh, we got we got to fight the good fight here but anyway super happy with this stuff i just can't believe how fun it is to mill material that that's that thick and some of you listening probably know what i'm talking about others are like well what a poor you know poor bastard look what he has to deal with because uh, our stuff is always that thick I have a lot of experience with thick wood. Yes, that's oh, the rumor. Great. Anyway, uh, oh, great. Matt, what's going on with you? Uh, pretty much the same thing as last week. Uh, I'm still installing trim in my uh, my uh, TV room. You know what? Family hold, hold, room, hold it right room, there. Whatever it's called. Hold it right there. I have this queued up for okay. you because every time we ask you what's on the bench and you talk about trim, I, I always think like this. <laughs> Something like that is what comes to mind. So, So go on. Finish your thought. That was it. Same okay. thing as last week. Okay, perfect. Shannon, what about you, man? This weekend was the first weekend that I was able to open the garage door and experience nice weather Ooh. like while working the shop. It is truly my most favorite zen-like thing to do just because there's all that natural light that comes flooding in. Um, obviously, I get quite a bit of cross breeze. So any dust or things like that, it kind of clears out the shop. I don't have to have the air filter running. Um Put the TV on, watch Star Wars again, Force Awakens again. Nice. Um, it, it was just, it was awesome. I'm still working on the blanket chest, but, um, you know, I've, I've really struggled over the last six to eight months, gosh, even longer than that now, almost a year, in getting any kind of repeatable shop time. And I finally just kind of, I had to like, it's like a life planner or something. I had to sit down and like build the schedule and say, okay, I'm going to be in the shop from this time to this time, this day of the week, this day of the week, and this day of the week. And so far, last three weeks, it's actually worked out. Like, you know, my wife, my dog, they know, you know, from this time to this time, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I will be in the shop. And from this time to this time, Saturday and Sunday, I'll be in the shop. It only ends up to be about, you know, seven eight hours a week which i know there's probably a lot of people like you suck Mm -hmm. but um (laughs) you know when when you're trying to build projects and film them and all that stuff it doesn't really turn out to be that much time but it's just it's been nice to kind of count on that to the point where now it's like i know i'm going to be in the shop not tonight because we've got this wood talk thing to do that's in the way i know right stupid wood um, talk there's just i don't know this time of year if you if you I've been feeling down on woodworking. The woodworking bug bites you again because the weather just like screams at you go out into the shop and, and build some stuff. So totally. Yeah. You know, what makes I, me feel I don't really good. Go ahead. Sorry. I don't really have anything on the bench. I'm just like spouting philosophically because I just had a Zen woodworking weekend. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I love, I love the cross breeze and that's what I love about my new um, big exhaust fan is it creates that cross breeze. So it keeps the shop a little bit cooler, but it also creates the absolute best farting conditions. Yeah, and oh, especially true. especially if you have someone in the shop with you, which I don't normally, but now I do with the, the shop apprentice David hanging out, and I'm just I could fart right next to the guy, and he'd have no idea. Or at least he's nice enough. What if not he's to downwind. 
Well, but it goes by quickly. It whisks you way too quickly. It just, uh, yeah, I barely get the crop dust, the guy. So, yeah, that, <laughs> we call it good farting conditions. Glad we're talking about this. <laughs> I just, it's just where my head goes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Matt, you better, you got to keep us in line, man. It's just a usual episode of Wood Talk. Yeah, you know? the typical, <laughs> typical stuff. Uh, all right, let's move into what's new. And uh, this uh, is not really content, but I, I don't mention this enough. And Nicole gets upset with me because she works hard on these giveaways. And uh, you probably like to win free stuff, right? I mean, most people would. So. Somebody's working hard over at the Wood Whisperer. Sure as heck ain't me. I'll tell you that much. Um, so go to the woodwhisperer.com slash giveaway and you can get in for the running. And this is every month. We do something every month. This month, we're giving away a Fuji Minimite 3. It's an HVLP turbine. It will change your finishing life in the shop forever. You get uh, something like that. Really high quality. And also you could win a Guild Early Bird Bundle with a loot bag, which comes with a bunch of cool stuff in it. So um, enter to win. Doesn't cost you anything. It's free. And I believe this one, uh, let's just say it's US only. Sometimes the sponsors restrict us on Canada. But whenever it's our stuff, like the Guild membership, for instance, uh, that that we have no problem letting uh, Canadians win that. Uh, but international, we apologize. You, there's just international giveaway rules that restrict us from doing uh, anything with that at this point. So get in on it, thewoodwhisper.com slash giveaway. Write your international congressman. Yes, yes. International congressman, help <laughs> me. Send a letter to the UN. <laughs> They've got nothing else to do. Yeah, it's totally, it's another government's issue is the problem. It's not even like, you know, nothing on the U.S. side of the, the story that we can control. It's it's all international uh, sweepstakes rules and regulations that make it difficult. So. I don't know about you, but every time I hear of Minimite, I think of that, um, like making a sandwich, spreading that stuff on the, on the bread. Uh, like Vegemite? Yeah. Nice. Min- maybe I'm just hungry. It's like, maybe it's a tiny Vegemite sandwich is a Minimite. Minimite. Could be. Little, little bite size. <laughs> like a pieces. Vegemite slider. Mmm. That doesn't sound good at all. All right, man. <laughs> You're up, sir. So the next thing I have here, I thought I'd bring attention to this. has been going on for a few weeks now on a the woodworking subreddit. There is Monday Woodworking 101. So every Monday there's a few posts about a different woodworking technique or I guess they're mostly all techniques. Uh, the one today was on a miter dovetail. So it was a nice article with pictures and kind of walk you through all the steps of doing that uh, that dovetailing technique. And it's kind of cool. You can learn something a little new or you know more content for people. Nice. Which is always good. Is that Joe Laviolette that posts them? It looks like it is, isn't it? One of them, yeah. He he has. Uh, they're like I think there's like three contributors to that like concept, okay. and he's one of them. Oh, good, cool. Yeah, oh. you know what? The woodworking subreddit is an interesting place. Um, I like those guys over there. I've done a couple AMAs, and they are uh, they're really cool. And the cool thing is, you treat them well. They will like if someone tries to badmouth you, which you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the internet and it's Reddit, so it's going to happen. Um, I found yeah. that those guys will quickly come to your defense because you know just just on how you treat them or how you talk about them you know and i've had some really good experiences with those guys um but i love it when when they they come to someone's defense in the community like that they don't let it get bogged down in the normal internet muck and mire which is pretty cool it's a good community over there i do i do like that subreddit i do admit it's one of those things that tends to get forgotten oh yeah because it's not you know it's not as is it's it's more old school it's like you know old school forums and things like that and i tend to you know, get uh, distracted by the glitzy, flashy things yeah. like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and stuff. But <laughs> every time I go over to Reddit, well, first of all, I can say they throw a lot of traffic my way. So yeah. thank you, <laughs> woodworking subreddit. Um, and I admit, most of the times when I'm on Reddit, it's because I'm backtracking a link. It's like, why did 330 people visit this page? Yeah, that explains <laughs> it's from Reddit. <laughs> what if, what what has somebody said bad about me over there? And most of the time when I go over there, they haven't said anything bad about me. It's somebody like dropping 
a link to something I wrote three years ago. Yeah, so, it's a good uh, bunch. It's good stuff. Well, uh, I have been watching a, a YouTube series of videos lately by Graham Hayden. He built a workbench, and uh, you know who doesn't like workbenches? Uh, I, I don't need to build a workbench. Have no desire to build a workbench, but it's still just fun to watch because he's grabbing like stud material and going minimal tooling and really kind of embracing that you don't need to you know go overboard when it comes to building a workbench. So it's nice if you have thought about building a workbench and are maybe a little intimidated by. You know, like the big Rubo I have and Mark has. Um, Matt, I honestly don't remember what kind of bench you have. You he got a Rubo, one, yo. I Rubo. Yeah, that's what He's I in the club. You know, club. but still, this is one that it's it's very – it's simple in a very good way. Um, and Graham does a great job of walking you through how to build it. So I don't know how many parts he's going to have. He's got four up right now. But uh, I'll link to the playlist and you can uh, – Take in the workbench goodness. Cool. He's a good guy. He's um, been active in the Wood Talk forum for years now. Um, very knowledgeable yeah. person. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, he he brings the like production joiner um, to to the table, and and I mean that in the very specific like he's making windows and stuff yeah. Um, yeah. during the day. So he's really got a great way of working entirely by hand, very efficiently. Very much what I expect a lot of, you know, our forefathers to have worked like, you know, hundreds of years ago. So he's yeah. he's really got some good tips. And a lot of times he doesn't say, well, here's a tip. It's just kind of watch closely and you pick up little things. <laughs> how am I supposed to know? But how do I know it's a tip if they don't tell me? If it's sharp, it's a tip. <laughs> I remember in Woodworks, David Mark used to do that all the time. Uh, he would go, here's a tip. And I, here's a tip. I remember that. Yeah. And, and yeah, you bring up a good point. It's like, isn't it obvious that it's a tip? I'm giving you a, a small nugget of information, i.e. Uh, a tip. That just, he, he that needs a segue. Think, that's all. That's right. Here's a tip. We, we need a, we need a new segment on wood talk, like woodworking tips and, and we can get David to, to intro it. Yeah. Here's a tip. Oh, like, yes. Let's do it. Here's some kickback. Uh, this one comes from Chris. He says, uh, and uh, this is in response to breaking the edges of chisels. He said, I definitely had to do this when I got some new Lee Valley chisels a while back, and they recommend it too. The edges were sharp enough to slice right into my wimpy, callus-free fingers, uh, which in turn spooged blood, well done, sir, onto the workpiece. As an aside, great usage of spooge on the show today. Squoze is another favorite of mine, as in, he squoze all the glue from the bottle. I don't think it's a real word, just makes me do a Cremona giggle when I hear it. Sounds so dirty. Anyway, to break the edges, I use the highest grit stone, followed by following the directions that came straight from Lee Valley, pasted here. Uh, break the side of edges. It says the lap face of the chisel blade is perfectly smooth, and as a result, the side edges of the chisel will be fairly sharp. Depending on how you grip the chisels, you may find those edges uncomfortable, particularly if you generally choke up on the blade for fine pairing. Been there, done that with uh, Lee Nielsen chisels on those big square mortising chisels. Hey-o! Those are sharp. Uh, If desired, you can break, i.e. round over uh, the square edges with a file or fine stone. However, do not ease the side edge all the way to the cutting edge. It is important to leave about one inch from the cutting edge as is, not only to preserve the full width of the cutting edge, but also to ensure a sharp corner on the chisels to allow pairing right into the corner of a joint. And uh, that's it from Chris. He says, love the show. Well, thank you, Chris. So so basically what I said two episodes ago? Yes. But Lee Valley said it too, and they put it in print. And they put it in print, so it kind of counts for more. Oh, Sorry. I got it. Sorry. It's just the way it is. <laughs> All right. Let's move right into our featured topic today. This one is inspired uh, by a voicemail from Thom. He's one of those to- Toms that spells his Thom. name funny, but I'm going to call it Thom. Good day to you, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. 
This is Tom, spelled T-H-O-M, from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. I was inspired to ask myself a fairly existential woodworking question back when Mark's mallet broke last year. Someone on the Facebook feed said, in quotes, Well, this is my great-grandfather's axe. I replaced the handle seven times and the head twice, but it's still his axe. It made me wonder, where does the soul of a tool reside? At what point in the replacement of parts is it no longer the original tool? In the example of a hand plane, if I pass my much-beloved sweetheart number five down to my son, and he replaces the iron, chip breaker, lever cap, frog, knob, and tote, and passes it down to his kid, is it still the number five I pass down to him? If he replaces the wings, motor, adjuster knobs, fence system, and base of my table saw, is it still my table saw when he passes it down? And honestly, at what point are you changing the tool so fundamentally that one could consider it replacing its very soul? If even something as simple as a plain iron or saw handle replacement, let alone a new filing and setting of teeth, can change the, how the tool works in such a way that it no longer resembles how it operated originally, is that then a new tool? This is my great-grandfather's saw. I replaced the handle and refiled and reset the teeth, but it's still his saw. Thanks, guys, for doing this show. And as much as I loved original Matt, Esther Kirsten Matt is good, too. And not to worry, your April Fool's joke wasn't lost on me. Have a good day, guys. Yay. <laughs> it's about five people who got it then. Um, <laughs> Yay. All right. So, losing the soul. And, uh, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of this. He brought up the example, which is the one that comes to mind, is my grandfather's mallet uh, that just kind of broke apart. And for me, I think it comes down to the difference between a user sort of item and something that you're keeping around just for the nostalgic purposes and you don't necessarily uh, want to use it very much. So if it's something that is a user, right, I'm, I'm using the heck out of it. To me, if I can somehow take any aspect of it, like whatever breaks, fix it, repair it, and incorporate as much of the other tool into it as possible if the goal is to continue to have a usable item. And that's just kind of par for the course. There's only so much you can do. If you want to use it, you have to replace what breaks and then, you know, bring some of the love and soul from from whoever owned it before along for the ride by bringing as many of the parts as possible up to, you know, up to standard to make sure this thing works. But if you're looking at a collector's item, you know, you probably, if you're really that worried about the soul of a, of a grandfather or, you know, grandmother for that matter, if you're looking to keep the soul into it, then stop touching it. Don't break it. <laughs> Don't try and replace it. You know what I mean? And I think if you're okay with replacing it, then it's an individual thing, but I would imagine most people, if you're replacing parts, you're probably not too worried about that whole soul thing. As long as something carries through. And then to me, I mean, maybe you guys might, someone might disagree with this, but for me, I think just the fact that you're using it does it justice. And if it gets used and broken and then you have to fix it, well, that's what the thing was there to do. It's there to be used and not necessarily worshiped. Um, and I think my grandfather would rather see me crack the head on this stupid mallet than to have put it in a shelf and never use it, you know? So I'm okay with that. And I don't think the soul necessarily goes anywhere. As long as the soul, you take like a piece of it and some of it, and it works its way into the new thing. There's your soul. It's part of it. Um, so either of you, uh, let's start with Matt. Have you rehabbed anything that had sentimental value? And did you think about this? Um, let's see. I had like a chisel from my grandfather. All I did was really sharpen it. Mm-hmm. Don't really use it that much. It doesn't really have the best steel. So it's more of a, a collector piece or a, a show piece up in the cabinet. Yeah. Um, I really haven't done a whole lot of this. I mean, but if because I do have a few things that I do have from my grandfather's that I, I could rehab at some point, but I think the whole idea is, or at least the idea to me is that it's it's there, there's a memory of it there, there's some connection to the past through this tool, 
doesn't really matter so much what I do to it. It's just the memory that I knew that it started as my grandfather's saw or my grandfather's hand plane or chisel or whatever. And this, that thought kind of connects you back to the fact that it was this person mm-hmm. and gives you that, that sense of memory. I think it's less about the actual object and what you do to it, but you just keep the memory of it alive. Right. And all it takes is a small part of the whole to kind of keep reminding you about that. Yeah. What do you think, Shannon? See, a tool is meant to like do work, right? So if you set the tool aside and you don't use it anymore, to me, that's more disrespectful to the memory of that user than anything else. So if in order to keep it working and make it useful to your work, you've got to replace the handle and install a, you know, Bluetooth, whatever it is you do to that plane or that saw, I think you got to do it. You know, keeping that tool working is probably what's more important to the memory of its former user than anything else. And and I understand there are tool collectors and there are rare tools where changing it can alter the value. That's not my game. I I don't want to do that. Um, I want to use the tool and whatever I got to do to make it work well, uh, I'm going to do this, this fascination and this, I don't want to say reverence, unnecessary reverence, shall we say, Mm -hmm. is really a very recent thing. Like, you know, I have a lot of tools that I've restored from my wife's grandfather. He uh, uh, willed me quite a few nice tools. He would laugh at me (laughs) if if I, like, put a tool up on a pedestal. To him, it was a paycheck. You know, I need this tool to get this job done. And the better it works, the more efficiently it works, the sooner I can get to my Budweiser at the end of the day. And that that is the soul that I want to keep alive with the tool. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make it work efficiently and to make it work well and to make it a tool that I want to work with. Because yeah. if it doesn't work well, it's just going to sit on the shelf. And then it is that, you know, then it takes on that mystical, oh, it's my grandfather's, my great-great-grandfather's, you know. Well, if you don't use it, then your great-great-grandfather is going to come haunt you. So, you know, there's that. Restore your tools to working order or be haunted. That's- well, I'd be interested to hear from the audience on this one because I know there have to be plenty of people out there who do have those hand-me-down tools. And maybe the thing is – it's a hand-me-down and you have something better, right? So if you get passed down some old beat-up number four smoother, but you've already got a new tuned-up beautiful number four smoother, so why touch that other one? Keep it around because, you know, your your granddad's sweat and greasy palms are embedded in all that, you know, wood on the handle. Uh, you know, that rust was earned by your grandparents' sweat. So you want to keep it around for that because even if you tune it up, maybe it's not even going to be close to what you've got in terms of new stuff. So you keep it around for that sentimental reason. Um, I would love to hear from folks on, and your thoughts on something like this. And if this is something you do, let us know about it. Uh, leave a comment on the website or uh, send us a voicemail just like Thom did. Yeah. And let us know if, if you've been haunted. That's true. I really want to know that. <laughs> I'm, I'm very interested in that. Uh, cause everyone believes in ghosts, right? Okay. That phone is very distracting. Sorry if you hear that. Um, machine will pick up any minute. Okay. Let's move into emails. Uh, first one here is from Tucker Tuck. And he says, I have a garage workshop and as much of as much as such, all my tools are potentially accessible to would be thieves via the big sliding door. No. That, right. It happens. That represents the most <laughs> easily penetrable point. I'm in the process now of adding more security to this by replacing it and adding an alarm. What sort of shop security have you guys deployed? Uh, you guys, uh, Matt and Shannon, you guys can chime in on this because I'm curious if and what you do. Um, oh, Thanks. Thanks for the note there. Yeah, we do have a voicemail we need to do. Okay, let's let's hit that voicemail. Let's hit that voicemail afterwards. 
stupid email okay. or the voicemail here is distracting me. Like the in-person voicemail, not the show's voicemail <laughs> in my house. It's killing my brain. Here. Stupid voicemailers. Too, too many voicemails at <laughs> That's once. That's a good way to encourage more people to leave us voicemails. <laughs> yeah. Stupid people calling, talking to machines. The worst part of it is every place we have a phone in the house, when a message is being left and the base units in the kitchen, as long as I have a phone in here, I get to hear the person leave the message, which is you know great for privacy while I'm recording. Okay. So anyway, we're talking about shop security. And like I said, I want to hear what you two do as well. Um, first and foremost, good locks. And it sounds like he's getting new doors, which should hopefully accommodate locks. Uh, a lot of times garage doors will have those little slider bolts that you can kind of slide into the frame, into the track. And that physically locks it from, from being able to be lifted up. You'd have to really break the door uh, to be able to, to get in. But if you don't have one of those kind of locks, you could probably install something or as he's doing, if he's getting new doors, you know, maybe they'll come with it. And that's a good security measure that you can do at the end of the day. Uh, let's see, of course, lock all your windows and doors. If there are any additional uh, access points, you need to lock those and close your blinds, uh, because you don't want people to see in. And that means if you're working nights, keep this in mind. A lot of people don't think about this. If your shop is all lit up while you're woodworking and it's nighttime, guess what? Everybody can see you. And you're saying, hey, look at the stuff that I've got. And they can hear you. And it doesn't take long before everyone in the neighborhood knows that you're a woodworker and you've got power tools or I guess if you're using hand tools, it's quiet. So you've got definitely got a security advantage there. No one knows what you're doing. But power tools, they sure as heck know about it. So don't advertise what you have. Keep it kind of, you know, uh, keep it on a down low a little bit and that should help. Um, exterior motion lights. I think are a great idea. And that's just good home security. Just something that if something moves in front of your house, light goes on, it's a, you know, decent security deterrent. Um, now if you can security system, now this is something I've got on my house. So it was very easy to extend those features to my shop. I've got uh, door sensors, window sensors, glass break sensors, and motion sensor uh, sensors, as well as a camera in my shop. So my shop is pretty well locked down. Um, it's hard for anyone to get in there and, and me not know about it. Um, here's another thing. It's a little bit of a wild card, but I, I like the idea of licking all of my tools. And this way, if something <laughs> does get stolen, I've got the satisfaction of knowing that someone is using my stolen tool that's got oh, my spit gosh. all over it. <laughs> now, I won't get, won't get my, you know, it's not like I'm going to be able to get it back, but it does make me feel a little more satisfied, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if something does get stolen. Um, now, mm-hmm. I actually, and we know with your OCD that when you lick one, you've got to lick them all. Got to right? lick them all, baby. Like Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> got to lick them all. Uh, so I actually did have something stolen out of my shop once, and this was just me being a little bit careless. I've probably told the story before as well, but I left my garage door about a quarter of the way open just for airflow, went in for lunch, and I came back and had a miter saw missing. And I was cleaning up, so the miter saw was close to the front door on the floor. So someone literally just kind of reached their arms in, took it out. And this was not at this house. This was at our old house where there was a lot of construction going on in the neighborhood. And uh, construction guys know what a Makita saw looks like from a distance. And uh, they know that they're not cheap. So they reached under, grabbed it, and uh, I never saw that saw again, which you know, mm. makes me cry a little bit. So, you know, just kind of just be security conscious. You may not have to do all of those things that I recommended, but do some of them. And that's probably going to go a long way uh, to helping keeping your shop fairly safe. Now, curious, um, Shannon, do you take any extra security measures for your shop? Yeah. Um, and, and especially see, I have, I have a little bit of advantage because my shop people walk in, like every time I have a workman over to the house, they're like, seriously, like, where are your power tools? (laughs) So to, to, to the lay person, they look at my shop and go, man, what's all this old junk? And it's not interesting. (laughs) They go, Oh, I can't rely on that. A woodworker used to live here. Nice. 
Yeah, it looks I, like they moved I, I out. I can't rely Tokyo's. on on shall shall we say unkindly the ignorance of the common man and thinking that hand tools are cheap. Yeah, because they are not. Believe me, um, I have uh, you know the the bolt that slides across the door. Um, I specifically on the recommendation of the guy that installed the door. I specifically only have key access from the outside, so there's not a little like uh, release or twisty thing. A lot of doors will have like a key that you can unlock. And then you right. can leave it unlocked, and then there's like a toggle knob that you can twist, and it unlocks from the outside. Mm-hmm. There, there is that doesn't exist on my door. It's only key access from the outside, which was one thing. Um, there is a secondary slider bolt that actually goes um, down at the very bottom of the door, um, and I actually have to like step down on the door in order for it to engage. So it actually keeps it kind of in tension down. So there's no wiggle room whatsoever. Um, that one does not have a key access from the outside. The only way I can unlock it is from the inside, which gets to be a little annoying when I'm trying to get into my garage from the outside. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I admit I don't always lock that one, but if we go out of town or something like that, I definitely lock that one. And it's, uh, it, it's fantastic because I think where that sliding bolt mechanism has an issue is there is that little bit of wiggle room in the mechanism. Um, this doesn't allow for any of that wiggle room. Nice. Um, I have a, a motion sense of light motion sensitive light mounted right above the garage door and there are motion sensors in just the whole house security has those motion sensor systems um that go off um and there's one in the back corner of the shop as well oh nice so sounds good uh what about you um mr matt you just have a big big chainsaw in front of the door running at all times in case (laughs) do not walk through here yeah (laughs) i've seen your guard dog it's it's impressive (laughs) She's she's pretty she's pretty uh, pretty mean. Um, all right, so I got the, the the deadbolt lock things on the overhead doors as well. Uh, uh, kind of unlike Shannon's and kind of like Shannon's, my overhead doors they don't they do not unlock from the outside. So you have to go in through the access door to actually unlock those, mm. and that's got locks on it as well. I also have a security system for the house, so the garage is on a system as well. I have. Um, Sensors on both overhead doors and the entry door in the shop, as well as a motion sensor. And the idea with the motion sensor is that if someone actually gets into the shop, like through the windows, for instance, they're going to move around, so they'll probably get picked up on the motion pretty yeah, easily, right. and the shop isn't that big. I also have uh, lights on the outside of my doors into my driveway, which I don't turn off ever, so they're always on, so there's some light there at all times, even at night, all that stuff. Um the most expensive things in my tools are my stationary power tools, and they're pretty heavy, so that's kind of a, th- a theft of turn in itself. <laughs> I've often true. thought about yeah. that. I've seen what it takes, like, three or four <laughs> grown men to do to move a table saw. Yeah. Like, if, somebody, well, if they manage to take it, they deserve good it. on it's you. Like, All right. Yeah, if they can get it, they deserve it. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the last thing I'll touch on is that I have an inventory of everything in my shop, and if it has a serial number, I have a serial number for those things, as well as pictures. and Smart everything that i have so yeah that helps. that's a good point that's a good point the last thing that i would say i have is insurance right um, <laughs> everything yeah, in there, there is insured yes. and i'm constantly updating that you know i mean you bring a new tool into the shop i just got a you know veritas miter plane what is that like a 400 hundred dollar tool mm-hmm. yeah i i made sure that the insurance uh updated and and i keep you know all that there's no serial numbers on those planes but i keep a, a running tally of that stuff nice yeah, smart. Well, it's good. It's good to think about this kind of stuff because you know, worst case scenario, that would really suck to go in and just see a bunch of tools missing. So yeah, yeah good question. Cameras in our case. 
Yes, exactly. That's another thing too. Good point. We've got a lot of like, that would probably be one of the first things to go. If someone came in and like, Oh, I'm, I was here for the tools, but I'll take that, uh, you know, thousand dollar camera. Sure. Exactly. (laughs) Jeez. Very good point. Uh, all right, Matt, you're up. Right in the voicemail. Uh, we're going to go back after the email. You really don't want to talk to John and his voicemail. Do you? I'm avoiding, I'm (laughs) avoiding him. Well, it actually, speaking of somebody stealing cameras in the shop, John has a voicemail about electronic gear. No, see, then we got to go back to email after that. We got to stay organized. What are you doing? But it's a segue. This is why I run the show, sir. That's why. <laughs> I don't like segues. Fell off one. Yes, they're very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, we'll get we'll get into email question. That's fine. <laughs> this one's from David. He says, "I'm building a walnut dining table, and it will have sun hit it occasionally. I don't want the walnut to lighten much over time. Also, I didn't want to stain or dye it. I just want the walnut. I want the walnut to be naturally finished with a few coats of armor seal. Is there any way to slow down the walnut from fading? Thank you. I think if you want to keep the walnut from fading, you're going to have to compromise in either one of these two things, either the finish, the top coat, or the fact you don't want to dye it. Um, one way to slow it down would be to switch the finish to something that's got some UV inhibitors in it, which should help slow down the fading a little bit. But if you really want to stop it, uh, you can look at adding a little bit of dye to it before you put your top, your top coat on it. Um, I've seen this really successfully done by a guy over at Guy's Woodshop. He did a video on a walnut dyeing table that he made as well. He used some transient dye and some alcohol, I think, and just wiped it on the surface of the walnut before he put his finish on. And you really, it didn't really change the color of the walnut much, but I know that since the dye is there, it's going to add color to it over the long run and keep it more in that dark uh, brown, almost kind of brownish black look. So mm-hmm. take a look at those, I guess. I don't know. Do you guys have any other ideas for keeping walnut dark and, and nice, nice and dark? Yeah, don't put it in the sun. Or that. There you go. Ultimately, the sun will always win. So, (laughs) but even then, I've got a couple of pieces that are not in direct sun. Uh, My bedroom is kept fairly dark in Arizona. You kind of, especially during the summer, you keep your blinds drawn. Uh, Any extra sunlight getting in is just too much warmth, and it's you know it's about twenty feet away from the nearest window, so it's never in direct light, and at best mild indirect lighting, and the walnut is still fading. It just yeah. happens, you know, so I think that the sun certainly would accelerate that process. Uh, but this piece is only a few years old and it's cherry and walnut and the cherry and walnut are like much closer together in appearance <laughs> than they were on day one. So it's an uphill battle no matter what you use, unless I think dye or stain is probably the only solution is an artificial coloring agent that will not fade as quickly uh, is probably yeah. the best bet. It's it's a catch 22 because the only way to prevent the sun and, and light for that matter perfecting it is to apply solids, you know, which yep. is what, you know, a UV inhibitor is, right? It's a higher solid content floating in, in the solution and dye is dirt. Essentially, we just <laughs> rubbed dirt pigment, whatever you want to call it, it's dirt on, onto the, the top. So you've added more solids that block the UV from the actual wood. So it's, it's, it's tough because I know what he's talking about too. You know, walnut, a lot of times when you add too much color to it, it totally changes that, that look, but, sometimes that's what you got to do if you want to keep it from fading away. Yep. Could always just strip it and like, you know, surface plane the top with a smooth plane once every year and start over. That sounds fun. Reapply the finish. (laughs) That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. Do that. Cool. All right. Well, this next question comes from Mike. He says, I just bought my first chisel following the Schwarz's theory of chisel monogamy. Well, I'm not familiar with that one. Is that like Mark's OCD where they've all got to look the same? Chisel monogamy. Oh. He says it's, it's espousing starting with a single high quality half inch bench chisel. 
Um, I picked up a half-inch Lee Nielsen, but I have a question about mortising. Well, they damage the steel by whacking it with a mallet. About What about smaller sizes, like one-eighth or one-quarter inch? Also, in a moment of weakness, I bought the Lee, Lee Valley Brass Journeyman's Mallet instead of a wooden one, because shiny, <laughs> which I assume isn't intended for chopping force. I'm not overly worried about the handle, since replacements can be had in a pinch, but would you expect the brass to crack the horn beam or somehow damage how future handles would seat. Um, I, I grab this because it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, we've certainly talked about mortising chisels, and you can use bench chisels, or you can buy mortising chisels. Um, the thing you have to think about here is, do I need a mallet? You know, he talks about uh, smaller sizes, like eighth inch and quarter. A quarter sometimes, and I'm trying to think of an instance where I've ever needed to hit an eighth inch chisel with a mallet. Because you've got such a tiny amount of steel you're driving through the wood, most of the time hand pressure is all that's needed. Mm. Um, but there, there's hitting it with – there's whacking it, as he says, with a mallet, and then there's tapping it with a mallet. I think any time that you are whacking something, you need to rethink it. Um, either you need to <laughs> sharpen. You shouldn't have to apply that much pressure in order to to, to do this work. So you n- might need to resharpen, or sometimes you're just trying to drive it too deep. A chisel is nothing more than a wedge, and as you drive that chisel really, really deeply, the wedging force, the wedge, the, the force of the wood starts to push back more and more because you're trying to wedge more and more of that wood apart. Without a relief or spot for that that wood to actually move into, you can't drive a chisel very deep at all. You know, take take a chisel of any size and tap it into the wood the very first time. It's not going to go as deep as the second time or the third time or the fourth time. This is the entire principle of chopping on a mortise by hand. So if you are really wailing on a chisel, you need to back off. <laughs> now, the, the brass journeyman's mallet is talking about, that's one that's really great for um, choking up on and just giving little light taps. It's not meant to be like a mortising mallet that you're walloping on things with. It's sometimes it's easier. You can get a more controlled push using a mallet. I'm thinking of carving where sometimes if you, especially with V chisels, I find a lot, if I really want to follow a line, I'm more precise and more able to follow that line by using a mallet because I can, you know, without exerting myself if i'm pushing real hard with one hand while pairing there's a tendency to kind of push too far a mallet can really help you control that um but i'm using now lately i've been using a three pound like thor's mallet uh i've been trying it out it's something that shenandoah toolworks made for me and it's awesome because I'm not. I'm choking up really high on the handle and just lightly tapping it, and it's giving me just enough force that I can do all kinds of stuff with this. But the minute that I start having to apply too much force to the point where I would worry about damaging the handle, there's something else at play there, and you need to back off and sharpen your chisel or think about what are you trying to do. Now, to directly address this question about the horn beam, one of the reasons that Lee Nielsen chooses horn beam is it's practically indestructible. Um, I've been using Lee Nielsen chisels for five, six, seven years. Um, still on the original handles, don't even have a dent in them. So I, I wouldn't worry about that too much. Yeah, they're pretty great. Seriously. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. And the wood itself, the species itself, was chosen for that reason. You know, buy a Veritas chisel with the torrified wood handles, and you're going to have the same situation, actually even more durable. So mm-hmm. if you think you're going to damage the chisel, it's less about what kind of wood is the chisel handle made out of and more about why am I hitting this so hard. Yeah, so, and you know what? Stop. I, 
and think. I use those little brass mallets, and because of the weight, you just there's very few times I'm not taking that whole arm motion sort of thing. I really prefer those because I it's a lot less wasted motion, and like you said, choke up or go down a little bit on the handle, and this way you can really get a lot of pressure. Um, but I never need to really hit the chisels that hard because the head of that mallet is is so dense and so heavy uh, that it, it yeah. just works perfectly. I mean, anytime I'm using a metal mallet, and I've got several, invariably, you know, I hear the YouTube comments, eh, it's really not a good thing for that. It's just, I just totally disagree. <laughs> I mean, you, you get a better percussive strike with a metal mallet than exactly. a wood mallet. Yeah. Wood on wood but is fine. Not, I mean, wood on wood works great, but it does absorb some of that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And the metal on wood, you really get the transfer of that force. Wherein it's bad is when you're whacking on it or walloping on Stop it. Stop whacking. That's, yeah. Stop whacking, Stop people. Stop doing so much whacking. <laughs> yeah, you had uh, Matt and I giggling for a while there mm-hmm. with your innuendo. Oh, I guess, and it kept going. <laughs> yeah, it did. It <laughs> did. You, it, that's the problem. Uh, this happens all the time with this type of topic. Like, if you just get it in your head and then let them continue and that sort of innuendo continues in your mind, it's awful. It, it just unravels everything. Another word out of his mouth. Yeah, it's terrible. All right, so you know what? Because it logistically makes sense, we're going to go back and do a voicemail now. Uh, more email more email. okay let's just do an email another one all right this it's one's just mark's world we're just hanging out here that's you right do whatever on the the bench? You want. welcome to my show boys thanks for guesting all right here we go uh this <laughs> one's from john hi guys this is john from uh western new york i have a question regarding woodworking although not in the traditional tool sense how do you guys protect your cameras microphones and all your other digital equipment from sawdust and all that nasty stuff in the air thanks Really love the show. Bye. All right, so that's a great question. Now, not everyone's going to have this problem. I guess if you keep a computer in the shop, yeah, you're going to be concerned about that. And we have talked about that a little bit in the past, uh, how to protect your, your computers from the dust in your shop. But in our case, the three of us, we all record what we do uh, with video cameras, regular cameras, our phones, and you know maybe audio devices. There's a lot of electronics floating around our shops. So, uh, I'd wager that the majority of woodworkers now have a camera in their shop, too. See, at least, I would say the majority wanna... of people who listen to this show, at least, uh, would do that. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, you just think about it. You want to photograph the, you know, the project you've made, and now we're in a sharing society where you're photographing your shavings now. <laughs> yeah, right. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I don't do a whole lot because to take those precautions and you know, in the past I've messed with like Porter brace is a company that makes a cool case that protects your camera from dust. And from, you know, a lot of times you can use it outdoors in rainy conditions. Uh, and I tried using it, but every sort of solution I've come up with is a giant pain in the butt. So for me, electronics and the use of them in the shop is a business expense. And I mean that in, in the sense that like, well, it's something I use to make my business go. If it breaks, then I replace it. But the convenience I get for not having to like dink around with all kinds of like extra things to stop the dust from getting into my electronics uh, means I'm going to be more efficient. I get more work done and I enjoy doing that process more because I don't take a lot of those extra precautions. And that's just me. Again, as a business, I can justify doing that. It makes sense to me and I gain time which is actually the thing I need the most of now anyway. So do you guys do anything at all for like cameras, maybe your laptops or, or I don't know, an iPad or iPhone, uh, some kind of tablet? Do you do anything to protect that stuff? No, honestly, no. Nothing. 
No, and and like we we talked about this before because I asked the question about computers, and the little bit of research I did determined that actually I should be less concerned about my computers and more concerned about my cameras, just because of like zoom mechanisms and the lenses and things like that are much more delicate yeah. than especially solid state drives and stuff in That's a laptop. That's the key. Yep. And I one time sent my camera, my my prime camera, off to a repair place. Because, uh, frankly, I backed into the tripod and it took a nosedive onto the hard concrete floor Ugh. and it messed up the, um, the, the zoom motor. Mm. Um, they cleaned it out when, when that happened and they said, you know, they're really – and I asked him. I said, was there a whole bunch of gunk in there? And he said, not really. You know, it wasn't like, oh, man, what are you, a woodworker or what have you done with this thing? Yeah. It was – it really wasn't that bad. And I think with a lot of – especially with the kind of run-and-gun thing of uh, like the prosumer market – they're expecting you to take that camera out, you know, and accidentally drop it in the water here or, you know, take it four wheeling or mountain biking or something like that, that I think they're really, they're, they're much more sealed in than they used to be. So no, it's just not worth the time. Occasionally I'll grab a microfiber cloth and wipe off the lens, usually because I put a big thumbprint on it while picking up the camera. The lens, the lens is probably the only thing I do on all my cameras have a UV lens. That's basically just for the most part transparent uh, because I do not want my actual lenses exposed to the environment. So I've always got this sacrificial lens sitting on the outside that does get wiped down periodically, but the true lens itself is well protected. And if I need to replace that outer cover, I'll, you know, blow off the dust and take that outside of the shop. Some probably into the office, make the change in there where there's less dust. And that way, good idea. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's that's, that's a number one thing. If you have any kind of camera, get yourself just the standard UV filter, uh, throw that on there. And at least you're good from the, from the factory, your lens will remain. Are you talking about, cause I have a polarizing filter, um, but you're, you're not talking about that. You're just talking about just glass. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it? it's a polarizing filter. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think they're usually sold just as like a UV filter. And I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe okay. someone, some people know a lot more about this than I do. But it's basically, you know, vis- visually to us, it's transparent. It's not going to change the look uh, of your footage at all, um, but it will protect right. that internal lens. So you're not actually ever touching your real lens. Um, and you bring up a good point with the solid state stuff. That changed everything. When I first started the Wood Whisperer, I was on tapes. Uh, digital tapes. And <laughs> now, now that's a different story. We're talking all kinds of moving parts. There's gears. So like you said, the zoom is probably the only moving part on, on, you know, one of these modern cameras you're using either SD cards or hard drives. Um, you got something else in there. You just don't have these moving parts and moving parts are the things that really suffer. And also fans, anything that has a fan is likely to draw more dust in. So your full size computers will do stuff like that. But our cameras generally don't have fans, right? So the, so the dust just kind of sits on the outside and doesn't get sucked into the internal parts. So, and it's, you know, same thing with phones, iPads, um, any tablets, stuff like that. Uh, that stuff, yeah, it gets dusty, but unless you're really just shoving dust into the open ports, the headphone port and the, the charging <laughs> port, it's not really going to take a lot in. Um, and, you know, we're supposed to replace these things every three years, according to Apple anyway. That's what that's faster than that. That's pretty long. Yeah, that is, that's yeah. that's that's if you really want to get the most out of it. Um, yeah, you know that that brings up a good point. My primary Canon is five years old, six years old. Yeah. Um, and like other than that one time I had to repair it because I did something stupid and I broke it. Um, it's still going strong. It makes great quality stuff. Um, the other cameras, like most of my B roll, is captured on GoPros. Those are meant to be like you know 
going scuba diving with. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. Like, you know, where, the last time I wore my wingsuit is I flew over Machu Picchu, you know, right. <laughs> <with the> GoPro. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. yeah these not, things are I'm definitely becoming more and more durable. So, um, and that's another thing I'd love to hear if you guys do have equipment in the shop, if there's anything you're super concerned about or you try to avoid, or is it just, you know, just like us, you do the best you can, but most of the stuff is usually going to be fine in those conditions, which is nice. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can set up a recurring or a one-time donation over at woodtalkshow.com. Check out the right-hand column. You'll see those links there. Uh, get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt over at twwstore.com. Say hi to my mom. Let her know I sent you. <laughs> that won't do anything at all, actually. Uh, and if you want, you can leave us a review on iTunes. And we have quite a few here. Um, unfortunately, I can't read them all. We, we had a lot of people send in uh, comments, which was great. Uh, let's see. Um, this one from CD Stallman says awesome, uh, especially now with flat mat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's one. I like this from gig nine thirteen. constructive suggestion. You always know when you read that you're in for something good. Most of the time. Uh, he says, I came up with only one possible improvement for the show, which is perhaps you could get a monkey. That's it. Great job guys. Pete Schaefer. <laughs> well, we'll look into the, idea. we'll look at the monkey thing, but they bite, right? I mean, yeah, well, we'll start with a sock monkey and work our way up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. If it's a baby monkey, maybe uh, they're nicer. But I think when they get older, like once they hit puberty, they get all crazy and want to bite your face. A helper monkey named Mojo. Eat the skin off your face. It's terrible. Uh, there's also a limerick, a wooden limerick by Mark uh, Matt. Oh, he's, his name is Mark Matt and Shannon. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, Very clever. And I, I will not be fortunate for him. The uh, limerick is a little is a little off. I'm not going to read it, but uh, I enjoyed reading it to myself. All right, so that's <laughs> about it. Um, Shannon, how about you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here. Okay. If you have any comments, questions, or really want to hear that limerick, you have a couple of different ways you can contact us. You can leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. We might even read it, but it probably will be out of order. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Could I have said that any faster? It's probably a reason nobody ever calls that because I rattle that off so quick. Yeah, too quickly. Um, you can also use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. And finally, leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. If you're looking for show notes or downloads or any of that stuff from today or previous episodes, find them over at woodtalkshow.com. And then please go visit our sites individually at thewoodwhisperer.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. Coming soon, flatmat.com. Yeah, <laughs> flatmat. I love it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See ya. See you later.